Good morning. If you uh, read the email on Friday, you came expecting a sermon from Pastor Eric called the heart exam. Pastor Eric is going to trade that in for the throat exam. And uh, he asked if I would spend this time with us because uh, while he is here and present and we're grateful, if you get close enough to him, you might be able to hear him talk. So, Super Bowl Sunday, Hunter reminded us of that. Have you picked your team? Chosen a side? One or the other? There was another Super Bowl clash early in the Old Testament when God had called his people to go into the promised land and Joshua is giving some leadership to the people. And the, one of the first places that they were going to have to deal with was the great walled city of Jericho. So as they approach Jericho, we come to Joshua chapter 5, and I don't believe we have slides of scripture today, so just follow along as I read, because I'm going to hit a lot of verses. By the time you get there, we might be finished. So just listen. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Fascinating answer to the question, are you with them or are you with them? And this man says, neither. I'm not here for either side of this battle. I am here for the Lord. I am present for whatever the Lord is up to. We live in a world where we have so often been pushed to choose aside to take one of the two options in front of us of human endeavors we have bifurcated everything and i don't even need to give you the list you just know there are like two choices for everything we've been told we need to pick and in picking between these human endeavors we often lose sight of god and what god is up to because I'm not sure that God is for the 49ers and I'm not sure God is for the Chiefs and it doesn't really matter who has more Christians on their team. <laughs> God is God. And God is on a mission in this world to reconcile to himself every man, woman, boy, and girl back to himself in a right relationship. Through Jesus, the Lamb of God who gave his life that we might have a right relationship with the Father for eternity and for today. Today, we need a man with a sword attitude that says, I am not here to pick a side between human endeavors. I'm here for the Lord. I'm here for what the Lord is up to. I get to sit with a lot of church leaders around the area and hear a lot of great concerns and cares that they share. I listen to a lot of plans for ministry and direction for churches to go, and I rarely hear anyone talk about reaching people who are lost and far from God. 
and discipling those who are responsive. I rarely get to encounter people celebrating the victories of having reached their neighbor for Christ. Like the man with the sword, who many would argue is the Lord himself. We align ourselves not with the sides of man or the choices of the world, but with God and what God is up to. So I think this would be a good opportunity for us to review what that is. And to spend our time this morning thinking about what is God doing in this world? What does he care about? And how can we join him? So Lord Jesus, as we press into this, we do pray that our hearts, if we have chosen a side along the way, if we have picked our team, if we have decided we are in this camp and not that camp, and we've gotten lost in all of the choices of the culture and the world we live in, Jesus, would you pull us out of that, that we might see you? And we would align ourselves with what you are doing. Our hearts and our minds and our activity. God, we pray for our young people who are down in the woods south of here, the junior high students and the team that's leading them, that they would align themselves with you. We pray for the team that's in Germany as they lead some of our missionaries in a difficult place, Jesus, that they would all not choose sides, but they would align themselves with you. That collectively we could be about what you are about. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The heart of the Father is to reach those who are perishing, those who are lost, those who are headed to an eternal hell because they don't know Jesus. They have not repented of their sin. Now, many, if not most of us in this room, do know Jesus. We have repented. We've turned from our sin. But maybe we weren't taught or didn't listen or perhaps don't care that when Jesus reconciled us with the Father, that was not just about purchasing some plan of eternity with God. It's also about now, being only on God's side doing what God does. Which means I have no mission but God's mission. And you have no mission but God's mission. And Eagle Church does not have a mission other than God's mission. And so what is God's mission? God is on a mission to seek and to save. He is on a mission to reach the lost and to disciple those who respond to the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about. Sharing the gospel with others. It's what God is up to and what his church has widely forgotten about. Maybe you remember. Statistics say you won't. But a while ago, I preached a sermon here about Jesus being relevant. Always in all things for all people at all times. Which means we do not, even in today's culture, we do not need to water down the gospel. We do not need to wow the crowds with entertaining services. We do not need to have a trick or manipulate or guilt or accommodate to make Jesus relevant. We need to live our lives with Jesus as relevant in all things. So that then what we make accessible to the people around us will be a clear expression of the truth. That Jesus still changes lives. That Jesus still saves sinners. 
that Jesus still reconciles us back to the Father, that Jesus is worthy of worshiping and worthy of serving, that the cost that Pastor Eric preached about, it's well worth it, and it's costlier to ignore him. And then through us, Jesus meets the great need for accessibility of the gospel in the world around us. As you read the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, I don't believe that we find that God's plan was to gather all the people in a building for an hour a week and call that good on the mission. The ministry of reaching lost people often happened in the public square. It happened in the court, in the marketplace, on the road, in the field, by the water. It happened when people gathered in homes. So Fidel Castro back in the day thought that he was going to choke out Christianity on the island of Cuba. Two things that he forbid. The public gathering of Christians and Christians having church buildings. And so the church of Cuba was forced to split up and meet in the homes. And the church ended up going back into the neighborhoods and back into the villages of these open-air places. And the church became much more accessible to the rest of the island's population, and the church grew tremendously. There are very similar stories taking place around places like India. You can see Chuck Rapp and hear about everything going on around the, the continent of Africa where the formal larger church gatherings are being pushed aside. And the church in some sense goes underground, goes into the nooks and crannies of all these places, and the gospel becomes accessible. I think that probably is much more the, the New Testament plan for how people who are lost and far from the Lord are going to find him. Because we all know lost people are not flocking to our church services. Why would they? God wants us, his people, to be living in such a way that the gospel through our lives becomes accessible to the world around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors leave the comforts of home and they go to a place unlike their home so they can represent someone or something. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal to the world through us, his followers, so that where we go, God goes. We are no longer supposed to be under an Old Testament model of people coming to the temple facility to find God. We are the temple, and God goes with us. We're no longer supposed to be under an Old Testament model of a priest who does all of the connecting with God for us, where we have to go to a place and find a person who's going to go to the Lord on our behalf. Now we are the priesthood, and we connect with God ourselves, and we have the privilege of connecting others with God as well. So are we on this mission with God of reaching the lost and making him known? I don't think that's supposed to be accidental, but rather intentional. It means constantly evaluating your circle and seeing who God has positioned in your life who's far from the Lord. I have a list in my life of several people who I don't believe know Jesus. Some of them I'm certain they don't know Jesus. In some sense, those people take a special place of priority for me. 
When I am with them, I'm trying to always be aware of opportunities to talk about God. Please, don't come up to me after the service and say, Kurt, don't make people projects. I know, I get it. These are my friends. They're my neighbors. I care about them. I care about their lives. I care about their eternity. I care about their marriages and what they're giving to their children and what their children are growing up in. But more importantly than any of that, these are people created in the image of God. And the father sent his son to die to reconcile every one of them back to himself. And so we come to Colossians chapter 4. We were here a couple weeks ago. We focused on the first few words, but I want to read on. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. We talked about that. We've been talking about that. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, Paul says, that God may open a door, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul's prayer helps us understand that God is the one who opens these doors, right? So relax a little bit. You don't know how you're going to get in there? God's the one that opens the doors. Now, Some of us are so relieved by that that we forgot that Paul said we're supposed to pray. And we forgot that Paul said that we're supposed to be watchful. Eagerly pray and eagerly pay attention for what God is up to around you. And if God opens the door for the message of the gospel, will we be available? In our busyness, will we be available because sometimes when God opens that door, that what happens next takes longer than we planned, right? It'll disrupt some other things that were coming on your schedule. Will we care? Will we even notice? If you are praying specifically for people who are lost, you will care and you will notice because you will be devoted to prayer and you will be watchful. On your note sheet, there are three blanks. One blank, two blank, three blank. want to encourage you. If you have a pen, maybe write down some names right there. Three people that you regularly engage with who are far from the Lord. Now, first names are great, right? You and the Lord know who you're talking about. You don't want to leave this note sheet behind and somebody else in this room is like, wow, somebody's praying for me. They, they think I don't know Jesus. Write the names. Maybe it's more than three. Who are you regularly praying, God, will you open the door for an opportunity for the gospel message to be proclaimed in this person's life? And then live in a sense of divine expectation and engagement. Because God, our King, is already at work. He is already at work in their lives. And He's simply asking us to cooperate and be available and be ready. So whoever is on your list, be assured God wants to reach him. How do I know? It's the passage from 2 Peter. He's not willing that any should be lost. I got to get into a deeper spiritual conversation last weekend with one of the people that I pray for regularly. It was awesome. The context, we were doing a project together. We ended up in the car together going to a place. In the course of driving around, he brings it up. I just sat there like, I didn't do that. You did that. Here we go. 
We pray that God would open the door and we watch with expectation. So I hope we all agree that God is using us to make his gospel accessible in our world. Now, God uses dreams and visions as well. And I get to talk to people who occasionally sense that the Lord showed up in their house to talk to them. So I believe the Lord can do all kinds of things, but he has primarily chosen us as his ambassadors. This is the mission we are on. So the next question is, when the gospel comes out of our lives, what do people get? Colossians 4, 4. Paul says, pray. Remember who's saying this, right? The apostle Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul wanted a clear presentation of the gospel to come out of his life. Clarity is not equal to complexity. So again, relax a little bit. If you feel like I can't give all the theological terms and if they ask me a question, I might be stomped and I'm not sure I can say it like I hear some other people say it. Clarity is not equal to complexity. Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. Collective sigh. If I can tell a six-year-old, I'm probably okay. When the door opens is not the moment for you to figure out what you're going to say. Hey, neighbor, I'm glad you brought it up. Hold on. I'll get back to you later. No, no, no. We're going to be home in 10 minutes. It's go time. We should all have a solid understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should know what Jesus has done to reconcile us to the Father, and we should know what Jesus is up to today. And if we share that with someone, they should have a pretty solid idea of what Jesus wants to do in their life as well. My grace story should help somebody come to know Jesus. Because what Jesus did in my life is what Jesus wants to do in their life. There's context in all of that, but the heart of the gospel remains. So that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, what happened to me, I give to you. I don't have something that happened to me and your thing is somehow crazy or different. The gospel remains the same. So we share our stories. People should come to know Christ because they hear what Jesus did when we came to know him. The message of the gospel is coming out of our lives as believers. I want to talk for a minute about what it looks like when it comes out. And I'm not just referring to maybe what we might say or the final things you're going to say to help somebody enter into a relationship with Jesus. Not necessarily even just talking about the theological truth of the gospel. But as Christ followers, as disciples of Christ, everything that we do has the gospel message in mind. And so when people see us live life, they're getting the gospel. What are they getting? What are they receiving? There's a list of things in your note sheet. You don't need to read ahead. We'll get to them. The first one I want to talk about, though, is that the gospel message just coming out of our lives might actually be nothing. Nothing. People who know us may have no clue that we are a Jesus follower. There may be nothing about the gospel that comes out of our lives. If that's us, let me encourage you, just be honest about that. 
and take it to the Lord. Ask the Lord, what's going on here? Do I really know Jesus? Has his gospel really transformed my life? The expectation of scripture is that Jesus is going to have the supremacy in all things, Colossians says. Which means the supremacy in our lives. Which means the highest place. He's the focus. He gets the supremacy in everything that we do. And if what Jesus is up to is to reach people who are far from the Father and draw them to himself, then our lives ought to be a part of that. And if they're not, that's a great place to take in prayer. For some Christians, the message of the gospel that's coming out of their lives is one of a bitter negative message. Is the message of your life of faith one that presents as maybe whiny or bored or sad or complaining? Like, hey neighbor, you ought to give your life to Jesus so you can be miserable like me. I know Christians like this. Like if that's what it looks like, nobody wants that. Loads of Christians are spending loads of time whining about loads of other Christians. A Christless world could care less about our little internal issues. We, and by we I mean the American church. We as Christians are consuming ourselves in the American church. We are overwhelmed with satisfying our own thing. And we often completely miss the lostness of those around us. Friends, they don't even know why we sing, let alone do they care what we sing or how we sing it. Yet how much of the church over the decades has been consumed with stuff like that? Sky Jelani talks about a church as a cruise ship. Back in the day, ocean liners carried people from America to Europe. The boat was decent, but it had a purpose of transporting people. Mid-1950s commercial jet travel takes the trip from six days down to six hours. And the ocean liner business is in big trouble. Some of the companies innovate and they formed cruise lines. These boats are not about transporting people from one point to another. They go in a circle, right? You park your car, you get on the boat, you go, never done this by the way, but I've heard, come back and your car is right there. You didn't actually go anywhere, you went in a circle. And they took these boats and they put every appealing, entertaining thing they could fit on it. So much so that now we have the icon of the sea. That's the new big one, right? I think the tagline for this thing is all the vacations in one. There you go. Sky says the church has become kind of like that. The boat now is the destination. It's not taking people anywhere from A to B. It is the destination. It says the church has become like that. We are supposed to be about connecting people to the Father. Instead, the church often has become the destination. And we'd like our destination to be full of some good stuff. Too many Christians have this expectation. It's all about me. Since we rarely get all that we want, we can start to be whiny, complaining, sad, miserable people. And that's what a lost and dying world gets to see 
about Christ's gospel and his church. Sometimes there's the hypocritical Christian gospel. Hypocrisy in the church is not about whether we actually sin or not. It's about whether we own our sin or not. Hypocrisy is pretending to be what we are not. It's calling out some things and completely ignoring others. We're really good at this. I'm really good at this. Hot button sins that we rant about and we neglect the fact that we're gossiping and slandering the whole time that we're ranting about this thing that we've put up as the issue. The world needs to see real people dealing with real sin because we are not perfect and they already know that. The hypocrisy is when we pretend that we are. There's the Sunday Christian gospel message that comes out. This is where our Sunday gathering confuses a whole bunch of people. Here's some words that you probably never want to hear at church from a coworker. I didn't expect to see you here. We don't want to present to people a disconnected picture between our church thing that we do on Sundays and the rest of our lives. If my neighbors show up here on a Sunday, it can't be disconnected from what they see in my backyard. People need to see a gospel influence that lives out what Sunday attempts to promote, a life, a life of worship and service to Jesus. And we have the stuffy, disconnected Christian gospel message, right? Have you ever bumped into Christians who just see, simply seem to live on another planet? Or maybe churches that are so disconnected from real life? Like church is not a separate planet. We live on the earth. We are people who live in so that we can have influence on this culture around us. For some people, the goal has become to Christianize everything in their life. Everything. Christian schools, Christian colleges, Christian doctors, Christian breath mints, Christian music, Christian chicken. <laughs> Why? Christian coaches, Christian everything. So we can be safe and protected. People completely disconnect from the world and therefore have no way of relating back to the world and having an influence on the world. It's the people in my pastoral ministry days when they would say things like, are you allowed to hunt? Are you allowed to go to movies? Have you ever heard of a game called Euchre? You guys know Euchre? I kind of played dumb for a minute. They dealt me a drop-down loan, and I just kind of laid it out in front of like, does that work? Like we're real people who live in this place. And do you know that we can live in this world and even be a part of normal life stuff in this world without jumping into the evil of this world? That's how we influence it. There's the Christians who don't really need Jesus' gospel message. Man, we're really good at this one, right? Because at some point in our lives, we express a need for Jesus. I've sat with a lot of guys on the other side of plexiglass. They were wearing orange jumpsuits. And they would break down and cry and have these moments of a need for Jesus. And they understood it. That was the last time I would ever see them express that need. From that moment forward, it was back to, I'm macho man, Superman. I got this. 
And what the world then ends up seeing out of our Christian message influence is much more about our accomplishments than it is about submission to Jesus. Then we have what I call lovey-dovey Christian gospel. I'm not sure those words work for you, but they work for me. It's a dangerous one in our society today where we see so many people just loving other people with this complete and unconditional acceptance and silent approval. Notice I didn't say complete and unconditional love, but complete and unconditional acceptance and silent approval of all things in that person's life. About 18 years ago, okay, so the noise was a little quieter then. About 18 years ago, I was with a young man who was wrestling through some of the things that our culture has made sort of mainstream right now. He was wrestling through and he came to me and he said, I thought I wanted unconditional acceptance. But once I found it, I saw that it was missing truth. We can and should and must love everyone. But we cannot ignore God's timeless word. People need access to the love of God through his people. They also need access to the lordship of God through our obedience. Otherwise, we will love and accept people right into a Christless eternity. So let's get to the good one, right? Ooh. Number eight. There's probably some others. Here's a good one. The gospel message that comes out of our lives can be the aroma of Christ. We smell like Jesus. What does Jesus smell like? What is the aroma of Christ? Read the Gospels. Read the Beatitudes. Join Hunter's small group. Go through the Gospel of John. See what Jesus was like. We get to become the aroma of Christ in people's lives. There's a place called Coney Island in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Anybody ever been there? Okay, it's an old hot dog place. By old, I mean old. Dirty, old, everything. I have no idea how it's not shut down. You can walk in and out of the kitchen on your way into this place. It is just short of worth the drive just to go there and get some hot dogs. Okay? Now, before you get there, you need to... I was in there recently. This young lady, bless her heart, she was talking about every worker in the place. She was trying so hard to find something healthy on the menu. Now, what's in your hot dog? Okay. I want to say, dear lady, maybe the onions, maybe the raw onions, maybe. Other than that, wrong restaurant. Here's the deal with Coney Island. I can go there, order my three with everything. That's all you say. When you walk in, just three with everything. Three with everything and a bottle of Coke. Eat my hot dogs, spend a couple more hours in Fort Wayne, get in the car, drive a couple hours home, walk into my house here, and everyone in my family knows exactly where I've been. <laughs> Friends, it is guaranteed. There's no doubt. We know where you went. There is a Coney Island aroma that lingers. It sticks with you. It goes where you go, and when you leave, it stays behind. Jesus in our lives, influencing others so that when, we, when they leave us or we leave them, the aroma of Jesus and his gospel lingers for a while. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. They're going to reject Jesus. To the other, the aroma that brings life. We have the opportunity to go into our neighbor's homes. We have the opportunity to invite our neighbors into our homes that the aroma of Christ might linger in their lives. That when we leave work, the aroma of Christ lingers behind. When people interact with us at church in this space, the aroma of Christ lingers in their life. Some people will accept him, some will not. God didn't ask me to make that decision for them. He asked me to be available, ready. He asked me to pray and to watch. We make the gospel clearly accessible in the lives of those who need him. Kopi Lewick, you ever heard of that? I may not be pronouncing that right. I've listened to Google pronounce it. I don't know that Google knows how to pronounce it. It is the world's most expensive coffee. Like $600 a pound coffee. That's why I don't care if I pronounce it right. I never have to say it to anybody. Now, if you go buy this stuff, you got to be careful because apparently there's a lot of fake stuff out there that claim it's the real deal and it's not. What makes this stuff so valuable is that you have to get it out of the rainforest or the jungle and you have to get it like in nature. The caged up version doesn't work out so well, but here's the deal. There's this wild cat animal that eats this like coffee bean stuff. The coffee bean then works its way through the cat, comes out in a pile. They grab the pile, they clean the pile, and they sell it to you as coffee. And apparently, that bean that comes out is exceptionally good. You just have to get past all of the stuff that's covering that bean. No thanks, right? I think the gospel is that in many people's lives. The truth of the gospel is good and pure and effective for transforming people's lives and being, bringing people into an eternal relationship with God. The problem for the world out there is that in order to get to the gospel, so many people have to get past so much junk and so much clutter and maybe just so much clutter of our schedules and our busyness and the fact that we don't have time for our neighbors. We don't make time for our neighbors. We don't have time to let the aroma of Christ linger as we engage with people who are far from the Lord. And too often we hear if that's what it looks like. I don't have anything to do with that. What much of our world has yet to see is a gospel-impacted life that functions in the real world. And to see people who have embraced their need for Jesus, have experienced forgiveness and salvation, have reconciled their relationship with the Father, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and living out expressions of the power of God at work in their lives, affecting everything. And then those people being able to help others walk the same walk in their own life. So we pray for open doors. We spend some time thinking through what Jesus has done in our lives. And then how are we going to share that with others? So that when the door opens and friends, if the father is not willing that anyone should perish, and this is what the father is up to in the world. And this is what Jesus said he came to do. If this is what God almighty is doing, I think the door should probably open with a great deal of frequency. 
When the door opens, we follow the Lord through the door. If you sense that, like, once I walk through, I have no idea what I'm going to say, please don't make that an excuse. All you have to do is ask. Ask Pastor Eric. There are a bunch of people in this room who would love to sit. Maybe we just need to get a group together and talk about this and figure out what our testimonies look like. We need the two-minute version. We need the 20-minute version. We need to practice sharing that with each other. We need to make sure that when God flings the door wide open, we can walk through it. And our message is going to be clear. And people can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and be reconciled with the Father. so that the gospel becomes accessible through us, so that our message is clear. Jesus, we pray that you would help us be people, men and women, young people on mission, not for ourselves and not the missions that this world tells us we should be on, and certainly not the mission that our sinful flesh tells us to walk on, but the mission that you are on in this world. Well, we're not going to try to choose a side between two people's thing. But we're with you. We're on your mission. Making you known. Making the gospel accessible in every nook and cranny of this place that you have invited us to live in. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us, that our message would be clear, please. And if it's not clear, if we're not sure, if we don't know, would you... Would you don't let us rest until we press into that so that with clarity we can share what you have done in our lives. With clarity we can share the truth of the gospel message. With clarity we can walk into this door following you and the work that you are doing so that many would come to know you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Today is Communion Sunday. It is an awesome opportunity for us to approach the Lord's table with a powerful sense of the gravity of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Here's the next level of that, though. Let's approach these tables with the gravity of what Jesus has done for lost people as well. Thousands in this community, maybe hundreds in your workplace, hundreds in your neighborhood, Maybe many people in your family, in your inner circle. I hope you have lost people in your inner circle. Jesus did this for them as well. And Jesus is eager that they come to the table. And he's asked you and I to be his ambassadors, that we would make his gospel known that they could come to the table. And so, you know the routine. We're going to get up, we're going to go to the tables. We're going to have some bread and we're going to have some juice and the bread is going to represent the body of Christ broken for us and the juice is going to represent the blood of Christ shed on our behalf. We're going to have some moments to reflect. We're going to have some moments to confess. We're going to have some moments to go before the Lord and ask the Lord to examine our hearts. We're going we're gonna to deal with the Lord how, how he leads us and receive from the Lord his grace and his goodness. Then we're going to move to these tables. And as you move to these tables, would you just whisper to the Lord, Jesus, would you open the door? And if you got three names, maybe mention their names. He did this for us. He did this for them. And so God, as we move into this time where we reflect on the beauty 
We reflect on the power. We reflect on the goodness of the gospel message and what you have accomplished because you, Father, sent your Son to die in our place. As we celebrate that, help us not to just celebrate it for ourselves, but to be mindful that there are still some sheep who aren't yet in. There are men and women and young people who don't know to come to these tables. And they need to hear about you. And maybe some of them are in this room right now. And maybe this is the moment when they give their lives to you. And friend, if that's you in this room, you need Jesus. And Jesus is available. And he offers himself to you. Your sacrifice for your sin. He paid it for you. And he wants to reconcile you with the Father so that Yes, your eternity is taken care of, but also so that you enter into a right relationship with the Lord Almighty right now and you walk with him and he gives you purpose and meaning and fulfillment in your life because he invites you to walk the mission that he's walking. And he promises that he created you as a masterpiece and he prepared you for good works that you might do them. So give your life to Jesus. And then don't leave this room until you find Pastor Eric or you find one of the elders or you find somebody that can tell you more about what it is to follow the Lord. And join us at the table. Jesus, we're grateful that you gave your life for us. We celebrate, we remember. And we ask that as we move to these tables, this will be a fresh opportunity for us to experience you. And yet again, to be called your ambassadors. That we might leave this place ready to go reach the lost around us. In Christ's holy name, amen.